isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive, and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Join me beside the campfire tonight as I tell you of the day I first met my good friend Lyra in the Hidden Valley, just beyond nightfalls where she makes her home. Relax and wind down as I tell you of a foraging trip that revealed corners of nightfalls to me I'd never known to exist. It was Lyra who first shared with me her window into the world beneath the lake at nightfalls. And she too, who taught me of the wonderful potions to be made with the flowers that grow on these hillsides and a dash of water from that very lake. Before I begin my tale, why not take a moment to relax? Come to a comfortable position and allow your body to settle into stillness. Take a moment to simply be. There is nothing and no one to disturb this moment. As your head and neck fall back into alignment and you allow your shoulders to sink deeper into the soft cushion supporting you, draw a deep breath in and exhale. This is your time 
your perfect pocket of peace and tranquility to breathe into, to take up space in, to relax in. Know that with every breath, you're creating space for yourself, the more distance between your mind and body, and the things that trouble you during the day. Inhale. And exhale. Notice the natural lengthening of your breath as your body begins to wind down from the day and lean into it, drawing in a long, lazy breath for four, three, two, one, and exhaling, sighing out in relief. Breathing in, hold that breath for four, three, two, one, and exhale. Enjoying the space that each breath creates within you. Breathing in through your nose, holding for a moment to feel your lungs expanding, and exhaling for four, three, two, one. Allow that slow cycle of breath to settle into your body. Inhaling, and exhaling, breathing in and out. Focus your attention on the sound of my voice as I count down from four and tonight's story begins. Four, let go of the day. Three, let go of any stress lingering in your body. Two, release yourself from the pressure to be anyone other than who you are in this very moment. And one, welcome the need for sleep into your body with a final deep breath in and out. Now, if you're feeling ready, let me tell you about the day I first met Lyra. Long and lazy morning had given way to another bright and beautiful afternoon in nightfalls. I was busying myself with an attempt to build a raft for Otto and I on the beach. Anwen was not far off, lounging lazily on one of the rocks that jutted out into the lake. She would throw Otto's tennis ball into the water for him, watch the dog paddle out into the lake to retrieve it, and then back to the beach. Once safely ashore, Otto would get as close to me as possible before shaking his fur out and splattering me with water. Then he would dash up onto the rocks to drop the ball beside Anwin again. Hours passed like that, Otto steadily wearing himself out as I struggled to bind tree trunks together with vines I'd found in the forest. It must have been late afternoon before the dog decided to relieve Anwin of her duties 
and bounded towards me with the ball between his teeth. It landed with a thud at my feet. And I looked down to find that instead of the tennis ball I had always thrown for him in the past, Otto had dropped something that rather resembled a crystal ball at my feet. The shining sphere was almost entirely translucent, save for the veins of pink quartz that seemed to be threaded through it. In my befuddlement, I lifted the ball from the sand and held it up to Anwen. She simply shrugged, offering only a silent answer for the wordless question I had asked her. A lot of our interactions were like that by then. We'd spent a great deal of time in each other's company and learned to understand one another as family might without the need for lengthy explanations when enough thought or feeling could be communicated in a simple glance. The crystal ball was different somehow. Perhaps because it had come out of nowhere. In all the time I had dwelled in nightfalls, I'd never seen so much as an ounce of crystal. Well, I probed, chasing after a little more information than her nonchalant shrug had offered me. We lost the tennis ball earlier. It drifted into the stream that splits off from the lake. I'd have gone to fetch it, but the stream cuts through a ravine to the next valley but the water is a little too shallow for my liking. Couldn't help but quiz her as to where the crystal ball had come from, and she told me that a woman by the name of Lyra had given it to her years ago. Who's Lyra? I asked. The woman who lives in the next valley, she replied, as though she were surprised I hadn't known it already. It had never really crossed my mind that other people might make their home in these mountains. For months, Anwin and Otto had proved company enough for me, and I was quite sure that they would have sufficed for a lifetime. But I couldn't deny that I was curious about the neighbour I might have downstream. Although I was really rather enjoying life away from the crowded tangle of the towns and cities and relished a little distance from the bustle and busyness of society, I couldn't help wondering if anyone besides myself and Anwen had had any dealings with the forest's magic. I couldn't help wondering if I might find a friend in Lyra. Looking rather pleased with herself for reasons unknown to me, Anwen told me that if I wanted to get Otto's ball back, I would have to follow the stream through the ravine and into the clearing at the foot of the next valley. Anwen explained that Lyra made her home there and would almost certainly have retrieved Otto's ball from the water as it drifted by. Trusting her advice, I picked myself up brushed the sand from my legs and made my way over to the point where the stream began to break away from the lake. The tiny trickle of water was barely noticeable from across the clearing 
and I'd never really paid much heed to the ravine it trickled into. The two rock faces looked as though they would easily be wide enough to fit through, and Anwen had assured me that they would open out and veer away from each other after a few hundred feet. Curious about my rather mysterious neighbour living just beyond the ravine, I eased my feet into the cool waters of the stream and followed it through the gap between the two rock faces. Anwen had been right. The plates of rock did veer away from each other to make space for me. I still recall the gentle wash of the water as I walked through it, and the way the sound echoed off of the rock faces, bouncing back and forth, and swelling in the space between. If I had closed my eyes, it would have been easy to believe I was in the middle of the ocean, bobbing softly in the swell. It didn't take long for the ravine to give way to another clearing. This one was set further downhill than nightfalls, as if the mountains had not simply grown up around it. But some other force had pressed upon it and urged it to sink deeper into the earth. I followed the water that flowed down the hillside until I reached the hollowed-out pit at the centre of the clearing. Silence seemed to coat the forest floor down there, thick like the syrupy sap of the maple tree, sticking to the soles of my feet and coating the air I breathed. Sweet, sweet silence. It was a kind of quiet I could only have described as long, baited, drawn out, and dreamed of. I relished that silence, taking a moment to breathe it in and settling easily into the stillness that tended to accompany it. Minutes had passed like that before a tinkering in the shelter at the centre of the clearing broke the silence. The sound of pots and pans clattering against one another and then the quiet shuffle of feet across the ground met my ears. Before the woman Anwen had told me of emerged from her front door. Lyra didn't look a day over seventy-five. She had light blue hair, peppered with streaks of grey, that I later learned she dyed with the juice of the blueberries she foraged for in the surrounding hills. Her hair was wayward and swept away from her face in a tangle of curls, as though the wind had blown through it some seventy years ago and she had not managed to get it to settle since. Her smile was wide and easy, and her eyes a vivid blue that complemented her hair. Lyra's home was like something out of a fairy tale. In fact, 
It rather put the shelter I'd built in nightfalls to shame, with its floors and windows, foundations and fireplaces. But I rather suspected that Lyra had called this particular patch of mossy land home for decades. Gingerly, I made my approach, as though she could feel the vibration of my footsteps in the ground beneath her feet. She turned to face me directly and smiled wide. I wondered when you might come calling, she said, pulling Otto's tennis ball from the pocket of her fishing vest. I must have looked surprised, because she quickly explained. I've heard all the ruckus up there by the falls. I hope you're here to stay. I get the sense that Otto really rather likes you. I didn't manage to mask my confusion over how the pair might have known each other, but Lyra kindly explained to me that Otto sometimes calls by for the biscuits she bakes. We've quite the array of herbs and spices growing down here, and your dog is rather fond of a little pudding after dinner, she said, chuckling to herself. That scoundrel, I thought, as I realised that Otto had been sneaking through the ravine and down to Lyra's to treat himself to an extra helping of dinner every night. I found myself almost impressed with how covert he had been about the whole thing. For he had never raised my suspicions, and I hadn't even noticed his weight lifting from my toes at night as he snuck off through the ravine. Come, Lyra said, beckoning me over to a tree stump that had been artfully carved to look like a toadstool. She invited me to sit, and I obliged, but not without a little awkwardness. The toadstool was clearly designed for someone much shorter and slighter than me. Someone like Lyra, As my gaze drifted around the clearing, I couldn't help noting that everything was slightly smaller down there. The wildflowers were no less bright where Lyra had made her home, but they seemed much smaller and tightly packed in. It was as though whoever dreamt up nightfalls had painted it out with the wide, swooping strokes of a well-bristled brush. Down here, it was as though the artist had drawn paint from the same palette, but had used a much smaller brush, making the details of their work feather-fine in comparison to the bold, blazing brushstrokes that made up nightfalls. The sun was already sinking low in the sky when I realised that Lyra was busying herself brewing tea over the campfire. The blend was loose leaf, and by the looks of things, she had foraged for and dried out the leaves herself. When she finally handed me a glazed clay mug, 
She sat herself down across from me. The sweet and soothing scent of the brew drifted in through my nose and out through my mouth. And I tried to savour the feeling of it sweeping across my senses. I thanked her for the tea and she waved her hand as if to say, no bother, before drawing her own mug to her face, taking a deep breath in and sighing out. Everything about Lyra seemed so full of life, just like the clearing she made her home in was teeming with tiny brushstrokes of beauty and brilliance. Lyra seemed to have a life tightly packed into every fibre of her being. I wouldn't have been surprised if her smile nudged the sun higher in the sky. When she slept, the stars waited with bated breath for her to simply look up and allow them a moment to dance upon the surface of eyes as bright as her own. Lyra asked me if I knew the secret these mountains protected. And in answer to her question, I willed the flames that flickered in the campfire before us to bend and burn the shape of the word yes into the air above. Lila smiled gleefully and rose to her feet, beckoning me to follow her. I ducked under the doorway and into the shelter she had built for herself, noting that it looked rather more lived in than the mossy one I had built in Nightfalls. I got the sense that Lyra had lived in these mountains several decades longer than me, so I decided to let myself off for not having had the time to carve the kind of furniture that adorned her living room. I couldn't help but ask her how she had managed to build her home, for the beams looked as though they would have been trouble enough to lift into place, even for ten people. Smiling to herself, and sounding just a little proud, Lara confessed that she used the magic of the forest to help her grow her home. She explained that she had done little more than concoct a potion from the stream water and herbs on the hillsides. Shuffling into the kitchen, she pulled open a cupboard door and began to rummage through it. When she finally emerged, she presented me with a purple bottle of the elixir, wagging it in my general direction until I took it from her hand. Two drops a day into the earth upon which you'd like your home to grow, and the magic will take care of the rest, she instructed me. I felt sure I'd put the potion to use, but there was something earthen and beautiful about the way the trunks of trees had twisted together over time to form Lyra's home. I rather liked the idea that instead of grafting, building, and pushing to create the things I wanted in life, 
could simply spend my time nurturing my environment, caring for myself, and learning to relax as I watched life flourish around me, and learn to fit and flow into it. When I built the shelter in Nightfalls, I think perhaps I still had been married to the idea that a sense of belonging could only come from having a home and things to fill it, from having a place to be and people to see. Perhaps I'd rushed to create those things for myself in Nightfalls when I first arrived. But months spent sleeping on the beach and learning to love the people that passed through the clearing had shown me that there is love and happiness and homeliness, even in the impermanent. I imagined that Lyra had been in no rush to get into her house, and so she had given it all the time it needed to grow, from the flowers that carpeted the sitting room, to the fruit that hung from trees in her pantry. Lyra had practiced patience, and allowed this living, breathing structure to grow into itself and reveal itself to her, day by day. When she picked up a hand-woven basket and made for the front door, I followed her through it, gently lifting the basket from her arms as we made our way across the clearing. Where are we going? I couldn't help but ask. Not far, she said, ambling towards the woods ahead of us. I was hoping you'd help me forage for some fresh herbs. I'm running terribly low on vervain, nightshade, and apple blossom, she asked, looking hopeful. I found myself rather fascinated by the potions Lyra made and was keen to understand which plants she thought best to forage from. I was already wandering into the thicket with her when I realised that the difference between this clearing and nightfalls was a little more marked than I had first thought. Wide-mouthed caves cut into the rock face that separated Lyra's clearing from nightfalls. As we neared one, and Lyra stepped beyond the curve of its entrance, shrouding herself in the shade that bloomed within, I noticed the gentle blue light that glowed from inside it. If Lyra did notice the blue light emanating from the back of the cave, she paid it no heed for we began by harvesting vervain, a long-stemmed herb with small white blossoms. It reminded me of the wild flowers that grew in wisps upon the hillside in nightfalls. The similarities were striking, save for the fact that the vervain's blossoms were drained of all colour and white as snow. The bulbs that bloomed upon the nightshade plant were a little brighter. They were almost pink 
and hung from bright green stems. The birds seemed fond of their flowers, for as Lyra was cutting away at the nightshade plants, she was careful to take only clippings that would allow the plant to regrow. As she worked, a rufous hummingbird fluttered into the cave and hovered before the flower, dipping the tip of its beak into the centre of the flower and drawing up the sweet nectar within it. One by one, Lyra handed me her cuttings and I placed them carefully atop the vervain in the basket. I asked her if she planted the herbs here herself, but she said she couldn't claim that kind of credit. Everything she needed to harness the power in the plants was waiting for her when she arrived in the mountains. The magic was already trickling out of nightfalls through the ravine. Lyra told me she wanted to check that there wasn't any more vervain growing through the cracks at the back of the cave. So I followed her down there, carrying the well-laden basket along with me. We wandered through the twists and turns in the rock face. And as the cave narrowed, I came to understand where that blue light had been coming from. the very end of the cave, where its walls should have converged, was what looked rather like a glass window. As I neared it, I realised it must have been made of pure crystal, for I had seen much of that running through the rock in thick veins already. Rivers of the precious stone seemed to converge at the huge pane at the pit of the cave, and form a window, through it a bright blue shone. It took me a moment to realise what I was looking at, to recognise and place exactly where I had seen that shade of blue before. It took me a few moments to realise exactly what I was looking at through the crystal window. I was looking into the lake in nightfalls, and it was far vaster than I had ever imagined. The depths of Anwen's home appeared endless to me. When I peered upwards through the crystal visage, I found that a ceiling of bright green reeds separated Anwen's underwater world from what I had assumed to be the bottom of the lake in nightfalls. The reeds, it seemed, were simply in place to disguise the bustling world below the surface of the water. Life beside the falls had taught me that there are some sanctuaries, some silences, some sources of stillness that are worth protecting. As Amwen swam into vision and placed a gentle hand upon the crystal window, I suddenly felt rather honoured she had entrusted me with the knowledge of her home. 
the underwater city seemed to sprawl for miles in every direction. It was a city built of sand that rose with a sense of majesty from the seabed. Castles with tall, twisting turrets. Town squares. Parks and pavilions stood proudly upon the seafloor. I noticed that the city even had its very own fishing port. Miles off in the distance, I watched those little fishing boats raise anchor and begin drifting upwards through the water until they reached the level that most of the fish seemed to be swimming at. The boats drifted slowly through the water and I smiled to myself at the notion that the city's inhabitants would gaze up at the fish swimming through the sky as opposed to the swooping birds that I myself was accustomed to. That there was something rather entrancing about the quiet pervading that underwater world. Anwin smiled white and I smiled back before her eyes shifted to meet Lyra's. They shared a look that suggested showing me this world had been their plan all along. Anwin swam towards the surface of the lake and I watched her part the reeds easily with her hands before disappearing through the divide and back into nightfalls. Still in awe of what I had seen, I followed Lyra back to her home at the heart of the clearing. When we arrived, she asked me to set the basket of flowers down beside the campfire, whilst she made her way over to the stream that trickled out of nightfalls. Lyra gathered a few splashes of the water and the magic bound to it into a mortar bowl before wandering back to the fire. I watched her break for vein and nightshade petals off into the water she had collected and grind with the stone pestle against the mortar to work the flowers into a thick paste Adding a dash more stream water, she then poured the mix into a small iron pot that she set beside the foot of the fire and nudged into the heat using the tip of a broken off branch. As the elixir heated through, the natural dyes from the flower petals began to bloom in the water. It wasn't long until the petals, stems and roots of the plants were all but dissolved. Lyra gave the elixir a gentle stir before she ladled it into a small glass vial and presented it to me. A little parting gift, she said, as I took the potion from her hands. It's a replenishing potion, she explained, 
I'm fond of doing things the old way myself. But in my old age, I found it rather useful to have to hand. If you're out of kindling for the campfire, pour a few drops of the potion into your wood store and you should find it replenished by sunrise. It works for anything really, from the food you eat to the feelings you feel. If ever you think you're out of luck or love or laughter, massage a few drops into your temples and take a moment to simply breathe. You might just find yourself feeling restored. I tucked the potion up safely in my pocket, along with the one she had gifted me earlier that day. And having said my goodbyes, made for nightfalls. You and Otto are welcome anytime, Lyra called after me. She waved from the doorway of her shelter. I promised to be back soon, before I journeyed back up the hillside and through the ravine, my feet heavy with exhaustion. When I was finally sprawled out upon the golden sands of the beach, Otto came to join me. The schnauzer looked as innocent as ever as he tucked himself up upon my toes. And I couldn't help chuckling to myself as I realised he was simply waiting for me to fall asleep before he dashed down to see Lyra and collect a second serving of dinner. A soft, sleepy laugh rolled out of my core before I drifted off into deep dreams of the uncharted underwater world that had just been revealed to me.